Welcome to the 10 Minute Gaming Podcast, the podcast where you can get the best short and sweet conversations about video games. I'm your host, Will Dowell, and today our guest is Zachary Reed, writer for 100 Word Gaming. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing pretty well. Got a nice day off after a tough week at work. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm actually really excited because we get to talk about Fire Emblem Birthright. And while I personally have only played Conquest, I'm really excited to see the perspectives in the different game. Well, I, I'm happy to tell you about it because as I'll talk a, a little bit about later, I've, uh, <laughs> I've played a lot, of, uh, a lot of Fire Emblem and a lot of this game in particular, too. Yeah. Speaking of playing a lot of Fire Emblem, what's your history with the series? Uh, yeah. So just to kind of set some expectations about me and, uh, and Fire Emblem, I'm an enormous fan of this series. I started with it where I think most English speaking Fire Emblem fans did with Fire Emblem Reckon No Ken, which is otherwise known as, well, Fire Emblem. That's what it's called in, in America. Um, game came out when I was in high school, I think 2003 or so, somewhere around that time. But I don't think I played it until shortly after I graduated. And I immediately fell in love with it. Um, I fell in love with the um, like the tension of permadeath, the development of a series of you know different unique characters, the rage and the satisfaction of how uh, like variable the stat gains can be when leveling up. All of it, I, I really dug it. So as a result, I devoured every Fire Emblem game I could get my hands on, including some of the ones that haven't received um, official English translations. But I have fond memories of blowing an entire like minimum wage entry level Walmart paycheck on a Nintendo Wii and Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn. I, I feel like I'm one of those rare people that bought a Wii strictly just so I could play uh, to play Fire Emblem. Oh, wow. So what did you think of when you first heard the release, especially considering how it was being paired with Conquest? Well, so what's also important to note about me is that I have this extreme fondness for games that strike me as um, crossovers. And maybe I'm not using exactly the right word for this, but I think back to games like Final Fantasy VI and Dragon Quest IV, where you have this big cast of characters that maybe adventure separately, but still interact with each other or even come together to cooperate by the end. I, I cannot get enough of that kind of story structure. So when I heard that Fates was going to be a game split into two groups that you could play separately, I was completely on board for that. Nice. And then in addition to the changes in how it's pairing its story it also has some different gameplay changes especially with the weapons triangle and weapon durability so can you kind of talk about your reactions to those more mechanical changes yeah so i can definitely talk about that so i'm kind of in the arguably you know unenviable position of having played all three pieces of this game of fire emblem fates to completion i did them back to back which may or may not have been a good idea i got really burnt out after it but as you might reasonably expect I started with Birthright, which everyone said was the easy half of Fire Emblem Fates. But for me, from the get-go, I knew I was going to play the whole thing, so I figured I might as well start from start from that half. I feel like it's a pretty good starting point, though, and at least at the time, um, like a decent starting point for Fire Emblem in general. At first glance, Birthright feels very different from your standard Fire Emblem setting. Um, you essentially assume the role of a male or a female character named Corin that was raised by the royal family of Hoshido, a faux feudal Japanese society ruled by the mighty samurai warrior Ryoma. Of course, uh, the comically evil Garan, Garan of the nation of Nor, orchestrates a uh, kidnapping when Korin's very young and I guess brainwashes you into believing you're part of the Norian family. Anyway, come chapter six, this conflict comes into full focus and you got to choose sides. If you bought Birthright, you're picking Hoshido. If you bought Conquest, you're picking Nor. 
If you bought Revelation, well, you've probably played too much Fire Emblem at this point, and maybe I'll just spare you on that one. But uh, but yeah, historically, these games have been very you know Western, very swords and sorcery games with wizards, knights on horses, archers, that kind of thing. And you know, broadly, that stuff is still here, but there aren't brigands or pirates or even axes at all. The game's still representative of that archetype. Uh, Rinka just uses a hammer instead. There are warriors that wield naginata, uh, more subtle differences like archers using bows called yumi, which I guess that's like a particular kind of Japanese bow that I don't know a lot about, but I appreciated the attention to detail. Perhaps more importantly, this game has ninjas in it. Um, ninjas are rad, and any game that has them gains a few percentage points of fun. But seriously, as ubiquitous as ninjas are in video games in general, it took something like 20 years for Fire Emblem to introduce them as a playable class. And they're part of what makes Birthright really stand out, since um, there's not an extremely close analog for them in previous games. The obvious answer to this would be the Thief class, I guess. But ninjas set themselves apart by using shurikens, you know, like the throwing stars. They're unique because they... Uh, call stat debuffs on enemies, which is it's different from from what uh, games like this have done in the past. And I, I used all the ninjas in the game pretty extensively because because uh, they're cool. So that's like what really struck me as something that was really different initially. Yeah. So in addition to using ninjas, how did those changes really influence how you played the game on a more strategic level? I think it's it's important to talk about what's the same as well with uh, with Birthright because it, I mean this half of the of the game is supposed to be quote unquote the more like traditional basic map design so it it does follow a lot of the series conventions despite those changes i talked about so i think it's helpful to talk about just in general what defines fire emblem as a as a series so i mean obviously broadly fire emblem is turn-based strategic combat played on a top-down grid Um, you move your characters along the grid and you enter into one-on-one battles that play out in fully animated clashes you know the outcome of these battles is projected before you commit to them you know it's going to tell you if you have a 4% 4% chance to crit, how much damage you're going to do, all that stuff. But uh, as anyone who's played a lot of Fire Emblem knows, a 4% chance to crit feels a whole lot more like a 40% chance to crit. And there's a lot of times where you get to the very end of a map and this this enemy that shouldn't be able to kill you because they only have a 4% chance to crit just one-shots you. And that's that, which is kind of a classic Fire Emblem experience. And that's that's all still here. I think what that makes me want to talk about, though, is you know that wouldn't be a big deal. If you get to the end of the mission and one of your people dies, because in most games, you know, if someone dies right there at the end, it's fine. Just move on. They'll be back next chapter. But Fire Emblem Birthright, um, it has permadeath, just like every other Fire Emblem game in the series, even though you can turn it off. You know, each of your characters, named characters with backstories and motivations and relationships with others, they can die. Assuming they're not plot critical, you can just keep playing if this happens. They're still dead. Uh, newer Fire Emblem games like this, like I said, they do give you the option to turn it off, but I'm firmly in the camp that prefers to have it on. Nothing against you if you'd rather not create that tension in your life, but uh, for me, it's a critical part of the Fire Emblem experience, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Even if I frequently have to grapple with the decision of uh, whether or not I spend time playing through a mission again after a character dies or moving on, forgetting they ever existed. Just kidding. I always restart. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely one of the more exciting parts of especially if you commit to that more classic mode of fire emblem yeah because it, it never was something that was optional before you know um so i i just really got used to it and now i, I just prefer to keep it on now aside from the game mechanics let's talk a bit more about that uh the story how did you find the clashing of sides or and that push of you know in birthright going both the sense of 
being away from home and turning on who raised you versus those uh, family by blood versus family by uh, um, nurture. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, I, I can get into the weeds for hours about the mechanics of Fire Emblem. Like, this could be a hour-long podcast if we were to talk about all the mechanics. But I haven't even talked about, like, the pair-up system and the skill system that transferred over from Fire Emblem Awakening. They're all still here. They work great. But when we start to talk about the story and, like, the the narrative of the game, that's where I have, you know, some more critical thoughts about it. Because there's a lot about this series that that I love. Uh, but since my very first Fire Emblem, I found myself fascinated with the idea of support conversations. You know, they've really toyed with this format over the years, but I love the idea of not only fielding a large cast of characters, but also that you can unlock special conversations that deepen their relationships and just teach you about these characters and their backstories. Um, some games pull these support conversations off better than others. Um, the Fire Emblem games on Game Boy Advance did them pretty well, I think, because of some of the limitations of the structure of those games. Each character had a relatively limited number of potential conversations, like conversation options with others. So a lot of them felt pretty substantial. On the other hand, you look at a game like Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn, the Wii game that I mentioned earlier, and there are piles and piles of characters who all have a huge variety of pretty bland, uninteresting conversations with each other. Birthright is somewhere in the middle here. I can remember a lot of characters from most Fire Emblem games. I've played things in no small part to their support conversations, but almost five years later, I have to admit, a lot of these characters didn't really stand out to me. Um, Rinka that I mentioned earlier did strike me as memorable because she's one of the series' few female axe slash hammer users. And she's also like this absurdly muscular tribal woman, which is cool. But uh, what's what's funny about it is that she's the sole representative of the flame tribe, according to the the game. Other members of which seem to not exist and are never shown. I wouldn't have minded encountering a few other members of her tribe, but, but yeah, unfortunately the support conversations in Birthright aren't, uh, aren't incredibly memorable. Alrighty. Well, we are just on the edge of running out of time. It's, you know, time flies. So just to, I like to have a tra- kind of a tradition at the end of each episode of talking about just three words that you would use to describe the game we're talking about. So for you, Zach, what are three words that you would use to describe Fire Emblem Birthright? So I would definitely say that it's that it's ambitious. Uh, whether or not it uh, lived up to those ambitions is a matter of debate, but it is ambitious. I mean, it's three pieces, uh, different narratives trying to weave them together. That's a lot of moving pieces, so definitely ambitious. Um, I would also say that it is addictive, because despite everything else, it's still that classic Fire Emblem gameplay. It introduces some new wrinkles to the format that are great. So I really like that a lot. Um, and I'd say underrated also, because uh, it has received a lot of backlash about the the narrative elements that we talked about. But I still think it's a really solid game, and I like it a lot. Nice. So this has been the 10-Minute Game Podcast. So where can listeners find you or your work? Uh, well, I, I have a very infrequently updated blog that's at dalkane.blogspot.com, which is just, it's a weird name, D-A-L-K-A-E-N. Uh, that's also my name on Twitter and pretty much anywhere else on the internet uh, if you wanted to track me down. And obviously, I do also work, uh, write for 100 Word Gaming. Fantastic. Now, this, again, has been the 10-Minute Gaming Podcast. If you want more short and sweet content, check out the 100 Word Gaming website or follow us on Twitter at 100 Word Game. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.